0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another sunny day here in the capital as once again we bring together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. My name is Scott Challoner and we're going to be joined a little later on in the programme by former Education Secretary and incumbent Leaders' Council Chairman, Lord Blunkett. But for now, I'm delighted to have Dawn Redhead alongside me, the CEO of the Lawnmowers Independent theatre company, an organisation which offers services and training in the arts to people with learning disabilities and it also fights for social justice. Dawn, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, and thank you very much for having
0: me. It's um, our pleasure, Dawn, for sure. Um, The reason we're here, of course, is to discuss your take on leadership. But before we dive into that side of the discussion, um, considering that today's leaders are probably going through one of the greatest challenges of our time in the shape of COVID-19, I feel it would be remiss of me not to ask you just how much that pandemic has affected you and your operations.
1: Oh, 100%. We obviously work with highly vulnerable, high-risk people. And so we're also very lucky to have medical doctor on our board. Um, so during January right through to March, we kept a fair eye on current affairs, medical facts, et cetera, with the, the, the pandemic or the emerging pandemic. Um, we started to make some changes based on our advanced thinking about what was going to happen to the organisation in around February. And then obviously, um, huge, massive, lots of work went into creating new hygiene policies and new way of working at the arts centre that we uh, are based in, and Gateshead, Town of where right from um, probably mid February. It's quite difficult because we, we had to really project what we thought was going to happen based on what we were seeing because um, it was very, it's very difficult just to ask somebody with a learning difficulty. and and quite a lot of staff. We've got twenty five staff, and some of them only work part time. So we realised that we would have to start operating really stringent and rigorous hygiene policies in advance, so that when it came to it, we, we didn't really, uh, we weren't really thinking about lockdown at that point. But when it came to it, it was actually. In, in people's minds, it, they were operating it already. So all was really quite ahead of, or we think we were, um, what actually happened. And it was the same with lockdown. We decided to lock down on the 14th of March based on conversations with carers and key workers, social services, staff board, and our own knowledge of what was happening. And of course, it followed on about a week and a half that the whole country locked down. So we immediately went into. We've got a whole set of people here, at least a hundred that we work with. They're going to go into lockdown and need major crisis support. They're going to lose. It's very important that people keep their um, routine and also their time with friends as well as their training. So we we very very quickly went through the risk assessments and all the permissions were needed from funders in order to adapt our programmes to a whole remote digital learning with a whole set of commitment policies and registration facilities. And it was quite stringent. Um, So where we completed the risk assessment, the programme managers completed the digital platforms that were needed in order to operate. And then the members took a week off where we put those things in place, and we started operating literally um, on the day of lockdown. A whole remote digital program with progression routes and in line with our business plan and our targets as much as it possibly could be, given the fact that we didn't have uh, physical activity going on. So it was a really, really big piece of work done a little bit in advance. We were quite lucky that everything hit in the fan. And we started that, uh, like I say, the day of lockdown. And it was a bit foreign for people at first. But we knew we we worked with a lot of creative Mm. session leaders and programme managers and who are very physical in terms of, I mean, in the arts, music, dance. It was all very foreign for them too. So I had quite a guided program um, of what we expected from them in terms of being able to deliver online activities uh, in the art. In the but we knew that once they got into that, and once the, the things started to settle down, that that creative brain between everyone would start to really develop those programs mm. digitally and artistically, and um, also want, would want to do more. And that has happened. We've ran a really, really successful remote learning programme complete with uh, masses of support and crisis support for our membership right from the get-go. So we're really very lucky. We couldn't have done it without funders and funder support, mm. um, but we've been very, very lucky. All of our workers, our self-employed workers and artists, have all remained employed. Um, and we've had to uh, really redevelop safeguards. Uh, homework and risk assessments, all sorts, but we've done it very quickly and it's only because we've got such a great team and everybody had such a desire. It was such a shock to people, the lockdown. And so, and in particular, ourselves lost all of their income without any notice. This was the only income strand that they had, so there was fear and passion to make it happen and with all of that fire, passion and knowledge and skills we're able to create this wonderful programme that's running really successfully even as we speak now we're doing work for the universities for online resources, we've created films, celebrated Pride Inside, we've created films for carers and isolators ran programmes every single day for our membership the same programmes that they would have at the centre but digitally and then uh, we've on so yeah, it's been a busy time, very emotional and very exhausting for everybody, but it's been a real massive and I suppose um, privileged, we've been privileged and very lucky to be able to offer that.
0: And it's an example of really taking the lead on mental health and well-being as well, because what the programme has done, by the sounds of it, is also reduced that sort of feeling of social isolation for the membership, who are, of course, vulnerable people. And it's really sort of brought it sort of right into the home for them. And that's absolutely integral, isn't it? Because mental health, well-being are two important issues that have really been thrust back into the limelight by this situation.
1: Absolutely. I think that before I became CEO, I was head of operations for the organization. And quite often we've got a very, very busy program. Quite often in the past, I've been with the organization going into 20 years now. I've spent periods of time when we've had really big funding, etc., etc., working from home myself. Because it just gets so busy and so active with such, it's such an active organisation, it's hard to find the quiet space you need to be able to do that kind of complex work. So right from the get-go, I really did know how isolating and soul-destroying being at home without any um, uh, uh, strategy in place to motivate yourself can get. So it was part of the original risk assessment that we put in, a commitment strategy, a registration policy. We'll continue to ring our membership if they didn't engage. Where are you? You've got a session. And that, because at the beginning, it was all pandemonium, obviously, in the country, and they've had that routine and that uh, commitment um, right from the start, because you knew that if this went on, Three months, two months, four months. That by month four, without that kind of organisational, um, what's the word I'm looking for, engagement strategy, mm. if it was just a, almost an optional thing, that people could fall off the loop, and that they could get um, very, very isolated at home. So certainly, and even despite this, we've, we've dealt with quite a lot of emotional um, issues and mental health issues. And the programme's been a lifeline for uh, not just our members, but also our staff.
0: That's incredibly encouraging to hear. And I can imagine that you've learned an awful lot about those people around you as well and the way that they've applied themselves during this period, because it seems that it rings true that people do bring the best out of themselves in a time of adversity such as this.
1: Yeah, it's been. It, it, I mean, I get quite emotional all the time um, about how, wonderful people have been in making sure that this works how the organization runs on skills of course but also on passion as well it's very difficult for any charity to keep going in in any climate but the last few years have been quite difficult um in terms of keeping going but it's been that extra mile that the staff and the members always work with or work to in order to just keep going and I think they had that that passion applied to this program we've met with I mean we're a very resilient organization um and we've had to adapt in the past as well so but this was by far one of the biggest challenges that we faced and it was faced with the same absolute desire so we were very lucky that way if it had a you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link really, but the strength in the team has been absolutely amazing and quite emotional and overwhelming to experience and it has brought everybody together, yeah.
0: And in a leadership uh, role such as yours, Dawn, where is it that you draw your inspiration from? Because as sort of a leader in your role, I suppose the people around you would look to you to find that inspiration in that direction, but where is it that you tend to look for it as and when you need it?
1: Well, uh I... of the organisation a long time now, and uh, my mentor was our original founding artistic director Geraldine Ling. Um, so I learned a lot from her, but I've, I've really learned a lot from our members. We are a company run by and for people with learning difficulties, which essentially means that our membership is at the forefront of all of our strategy and operational decision making. And it's quite a challenge at times when you, well, membership went from 2001 we had five members we've now got over a hundred so it's quite a challenge to keep that in place but it's an absolute imperatively important part of our organization and it's about handing power back to people who have been disempowered and making sure that you don't inadvertently even for the right intentions disempower people um, in what you try to provide so that has been something that I've been operating for the last 19 going on 20 years. And it is where I draw my inspiration from. There was, there's, I don't really appreciate dictator, dictator style leadership or I really think that um, we need to have the overarching structure and strategy but that everybody's involved in where we want to go in where we want to be, in where, um, and how we organise and operate the organisation. So, yeah, from the members themselves.
0: And, of course, you've been with the organisation for some time, as you say, um, I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, it's about 2001 that you first joined uh, the Lawnmower's Dawn. Yeah. Um, based upon all of the experience that you have... Um, under your belt now, if you could perhaps go back to 2001 when you first joined, is there anything that you would do differently going forward?
1: Um. Well, it's, it's, I, I don't think so because when when I first joined, they'd literally just formed from a community group into a limited company and charity. So it was they'd only started to operate as a limited company and charity in the January, and I started in August. It was a very, very fresh and very, very new organisation and had no money in the bank at all. And so we've actually grown and developed as an organisation together over the years, um, piece by piece. Our funders in particular, uh, including Arts Council and Lottery, was being funded by Edney Fairbairn Foundation, have supported the organisation to develop its structure Um, Whilst we continue to operate in a collective fashion. So I don't think I would change anything, quite frankly. Um, We've developed so beautifully over the years and we're in a great place now in terms of what we offer and how many people will reach out in the community when we can go back. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and thinking about going back and really reaching out again in the future over the course of the next 12 to 18 months, we know that it's going to be difficult because we're still adjusting to the new normal way of living and working under these new oh. procedures. Um, so what does the lawnmowers really hope to achieve during that period and what is next for you?
1: Well, I think that the first thing that we'll do is we've got the next quarter earmarked as a staggered transition back to the art centre for our membership and our staff. So at the moment we're deep in risk assessment. We'll continue to run uh, digital and physical programs, uh, along with our risk assessment. And the the upshot is that our work goes out into the community to try and help change attitudes and achieve social justice for uh, our people with learning difficulties, including our members. So we will continue to adapt to be able to offer that digitally until it's safe for people to go back out into the community. And in the meantime, we'll we'll transition our membership back and and actually work with them, including ourselves, train ourselves too, to the new normal. Um they're actually really great when it comes to, you know, the one way system we've had to implement into the centre that's about to start being operated, etc. But going forward, the plan is to get back out into the community and work with all our networks, colleagues, friends, and uh, interested parties. So we'll do that when it's safe to do so. In the meantime, we've got great audiences, even now, digitally. At first, we kept a, the programs are closed and private from a from a safeguarding point of view. But pretty soon, within those programs, we wanted to start performing again for audiences, reaching um, sort of strategic network so that we could talk about how and where we we're going to go back into the community, et cetera. So there's been a whole programme. Uh, we've got an on digital online festival running at the moment. That's been an open call nationally. We've got films going on and what have you. So we'll reorganise digitally in the first instance and then we'll start to stagger back into the community when it's safe to do so. But the plan is to get back out there.
0: And let's certainly hope that that plan does really come to fruition. And over the next few months, I actually think it would be wonderful, uh, Dawn, to catch up and have you back on the programme with us at some point just to see how things are getting on and just see how those hopes are being borne out for sure.
1: I would very much appreciate that.
0: It will be wonderful, um, for sure, because um, I've really enjoyed having you on the programme today. It's been a real, real pleasure having you speak with us about, of course, your take on the last few months, your views on leadership. And most importantly, Dawn, until we do speak again in future, please do continue to take care and stay safe with all still going on. And that goes for everybody associated with the lawnmowers as well.
1: Thank you very much. And you.
0: I was speaking today to Dawn Redhead, CEO of the Lawnmowers Independent Theatre Company. And I would reiterate that message to all of those listening today. Do continue to look after yourselves and others because it does make a real difference in saving lives. Um, Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Matthew O'Neill for his exclusive interview with former Education Secretary and incumbent Leaders' Council Chairman, Lord David Blunkett. Uh, Lord Blunkett made a name for himself during his political career as a prominent Labour MP and Secretary of State, holding numerous key positions in the Cabinet of Tony Blair and serving as the MP for his Sheffield, Brightside and Hillsborough constituency for 28 years and he enjoyed all of that as a career despite being blind from birth. He was elevated to the House of Lords in August 2015. I hope you all enjoy listening just as much as Matthew relished the opportunity to speak with Lord Blunkett and all of that is of course coming up next.
2: Lord Blunkett, welcome.
3: Thank you very much, it's very good to be with you.